Hello and welcome to this message from Calvary Albuquerque. We're excited to hear from our special guest speaker, Kevin Miller. Kevin is the founder and pastor of Awakened Church in Clarksville, Tennessee. We pray that this message encourages you. If it does, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at mystory@calvaryabq.org. And if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can give online securely at calvaryabq.org/give. Worship is so much more than songs or a musical genre. The important part of worship is our motivation behind it. In the message Worth It, Kevin teaches that God's worthiness should transform a musical style to a lifestyle. Now we invite you to turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 12 as Kevin begins. Hey, if you brought a Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at a uh, a passage that may be familiar to some. Romans 12. Really, we're really going to focus in on one verse, but we're going to approach it a little bit differently than than maybe you have before, because I think a lot of a lot of typical church-going Americans have a pretty good handle on what we do. Um, if you asked. Uh, a, a typical church-going American, what they do, they would have a, a pretty typical response. It would be something like, "What do I do on a Sunday? Well, I, I go to a church and I sit in a chair and I sing some songs and then we go out to eat." You know, that would be kind of like the, the typical what you do on a Sunday. But today, I want to ask uh, an entirely different question. Sounds similar, but it's actually very different, and I think it's far more important. Instead of focusing on what we do, although that's important. I want to focus on the motivation behind it, and I want to ask a question: Why do you even do it? Instead of what we do, let's talk about for a moment today why we even do it. Why is it that we're here to worship? Why is it that we talk about reading the Bible, and why do we sing these songs, and why are we going to talk today about presenting ourselves to God? Why even live for Him? It's so important that we understand this because you know. When we focus on what, that's kind of the natural thing to, for us to focus on. If you think about it, if I have a chance to to shake your hand after the service, I'm going to naturally lead with questions like, "What is your name?" or "What do you do?" Because it would be kind of weird if I was like, "Hey, my name's Kevin. Why do you do?" You'd be like, "Go back to Tennessee. They are not teaching you proper English. You know, that's not how this works." And although what. Do you do is more natural for us to focus on. Why you do it is far more telling. Because what if we just took a, a, a zoomed-out look at our lives and talk about our motivation behind our actions? Today, I've entitled this message. You should jot it down if you're a note taker. If you're not a note taker, you should be. There will be a pop quiz in heaven. Okay. <laughs> Title of the message is "Worth It." Two words: worth it. I want to ask you today. If you believe that Jesus is worth your sacrifice, I want to ask you that today, and we all have to consider the answer for ourselves.、Um, and, and maybe you didn't realize this, but you need to know that so many of your decisions that you make all throughout the day are based on this question: Is it worth it? Is He worth it?、Um, is it valuable enough? We 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 evaluate our situation or even purchases or relationships based on is it worth it for me to pursue that? We make decisions like this all day, all day every day. I, I realized this the other day. I went to the grocery store and I realized even in the parking lot, I make decisions. You do too, based on is that parking spot worth the walk? You know what I mean? Like I see that spot, not worth that walk. 
take another lap. You know what I mean? I'll keep driving. Like, I'll drive for 10 minutes. I could have been shopping for 10 minutes, but I'm going to drive for 10 minutes until I find a parking spot that is worth it. You know what I mean? And then we get in the store and we keep, even if you don't ask yourself these questions, you're making decisions based on is it worth it or not. So you're scanning shelves then in the grocery store and you're, you're making decisions on whether or not the name brand or the store brand is worth it. My, I, I think I want to get some Fruit Loops, but maybe I should go with the Fruit Spins. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? Like my kids want the Cocoa Puffs, but I think I'm going to instead go for the Corn Puffed Chocolatey Spheres. You know? <laughs> Like that seems a little more worth it to me than, than the, the name brand or the high dollar. You get to the, so you fill up your cart and you're going to pay a hundred, couple hundred bucks for all your groceries and you get up to the checkout line and you might notice at the checkout line, they don't have high dollar items there for you to buy. They have little tiny trinkets that cost normally under a buck. Because they know it's going to be a lot harder for them to convince you to buy something big. You've already spent a lot of money. But hey, if those Tic Tacs are 59 cents, worth it. You know, add that to my cart. Gatorade, buck 29, worth it. I'll take, I'll take some of that. And we're just constantly making decisions based on value. Whether or not that thing or that person or that time is, is worth it for us. There are so many other decisions that we make. It's, you go to the gym tomorrow morning. You wake up and go to the gym. You've decided that that is worth your time. If you stay in bed and eat chocolate, you've decided that is worth my time. That's a much better use of my time. Um, a job promotion, a car, a house that you want to buy, a relationship you're going to pursue. You're asking yourself constantly, is that worth it to me? Is that worth it? Is, is that thing worth it? Today is really very simple. This message is very simple. I want to ask you a simple question. Is living for and sacrificing everything for Jesus worth it? Is he worth it? Now, I know some of you, because we're in church, you would say, yes, he's worth it. But many of us are not proving that through our lives. Right? Many of us would say, yes, amen, he's worth it. But then when it comes to a sacrifice God is calling you to make, you're not ready. You hold it back. Today, we have to make a decision. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm praying that God would convict you in areas that you're holding back. I'm praying the same for myself. If you're not a follower of Jesus, oh man, today is your day. God brought you here. It is no accident or coincidence that you are in this seat. It's welcome weekend here at Calvary, but that's because it's welcome weekend into the kingdom of heaven today. And I'm praying that God changes your life today as you see that Jesus is worth it to follow after him. So today, I've had you turn to Romans 12.1. It's really, this is not about what we do. This is about why we do it. This is less an exposition of Romans 12 and more an examination of our motives. Let's read Romans 12, verse 1. Paul writes, I beseech you, in other words, I urgently plead with you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I want to give you a few thoughts from this text. Number one, write this down. Worship, we need to start here with the definition. Worship is a declaration of worthiness. When we choose to worship something or someone, we are declaring that that thing or that person is worth our time, worth our sacrifice, worth our commitment, worth our attention. It's a declaration of worthiness. That's what worship is all about. Now, all of us are worshipers. Whether you realize that about yourself or not is really beside the point. Some of you may say, well, I'm not really into singing. That doesn't really matter. Singing is one way that we worship, but it's a small 
part of the many ways that we can worship. We worship God. You see, worship God, worshiping God is not just, worship is not just a musical style. It's not just a genre. Worship is a lifestyle. This is why Paul is saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. It's how we worship, okay? So whether or not you like to sing is really beside the point. Every one of us right now is living for someone or something. And that is the thing. Those are the people that you are saying is worthy of your worship. Whether or not they are actually worthy is also beside the point. But if you're living for them, your lifestyle is saying that they are worth your worship. So Romans 12.1, if you read it in the English Standard Version, says that as Paul offers this plea, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, he says this is your spiritual worship. It's a way that you declare God worthy. Revelation 4 and 5, if you read toward the end of your Bible, there's a, a scene coming in the, in the future. John gives us a peek into the future. And it's this beautiful worship scene around the throne of God. And over and over in Revelation 4 and 5, you're going to read phrases like, they, they burst out in a song or they begin saying, because God is worthy to receive worship, worthy to receive honor, worthy to receive power and glory and wealth. And all of these things, God is worthy. Their worship their declaration comes from the fact that Jesus is in and of himself worthy of anything we could ever give him. You believe me? You believe that? So God is, God is worthy of that. And, and so here's the great thing about this. When we consider worship through the lens of worthiness, it highlights two important things for us. Number one, it highlights who is worthy of our worship, but it also highlights the many things that are not worthy of our worship. For example, last time I checked, your paycheck didn't love you enough to die for you in your sin. But Jesus did. Last time I checked, that girl or that guy that you think is going to add so much to your life, although they might add some joy to your life, didn't die in for you in your sin and fill you with eternal hope. But Jesus did. Right? So let me remind you what Jesus did, because if we're talking about worship being a declaration of our worthiness, or, or that He is worth our worship, let me remind you why I believe that Jesus is worth it. Can I remind you that if you are in Christ, you have been bought, you have been redeemed, and resurrected, and forgiven, come on somebody, and, and, and called, and equipped, and repurposed, and God has given purpose to your pain, and meaning for your life, and filled your life with hope. Hope for all of eternity. I would say that our worship is simply saying, Jesus, you're worthy of it. You're worthy of it. You're worth it, God. Man, of all of the things that you could have done for me, you are worth my worship. Now, part of the way, part of the reason that we worship is because God is so merciful. So write this down. Let's talk about God's mercy. God's mercy is not based on our merit. Write that down as a reminder for yourself because you might at some point begin to think that God owes you some kind of favor. But see, mercy, the definition of mercy, by definition, mercy is unearnable. You see, Paul is about to to make this giant plea. He says in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He's about to make this big plea we'll talk about here in a moment. For sacrifice, but he builds his argument on the foundation of God's mercy. He's saying, since you know the mercies of God, now I want you to do this. It's built on that argument. Show of hands, or maybe you could clap. How many of you are thankful for God's mercy in your life? Come on. 
that God's mercy is new every day. Amen? We're thankful for it. We love it. We sing songs about it. We write lyrics about it. We, we love God's mercy. But here's the irony of mercy. The irony of mercy is that it highlights that we're a mess. Did you ever think about that? You don't need mercy except for the fact that you're a mess. I'm a mess. You only need a cast on your arm because your arm was broken. You only need stitches because you had a deep cut. You only need mercy because you failed and you've fallen. See? So, so we like to think of the positive side of mercy, but the, the other flip side of mercy is the whole reason we need it is because we're fallen and we've failed and there's no hope without it. So mercy, by definition, can't be earned. God gives it freely. But then we have all these questions about God. Like I, like I talk with people, maybe you're even thinking, maybe you're wrestling with a similar question like this today, or maybe you have a family member or a friend that's thinking something like, I don't know if I want to serve God because God isn't fair. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a valid point. I understand, and I, I would agree God is not fair. And here's what I would say to that. Thank God he's not fair. Because my Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. If you want to talk about fair, then that's fair. Fair is God giving you exactly what you deserve. The Bible says not only is the wages of sin death, but James, the book of James says if you've broken one part of the law, you've broken all of it. One sin in any of our lives has earned us, according to Scripture, eternal separation from God. You want to talk about God being fair? It's going to get real ugly real quick. You don't want God to be fair. Thank God that he's not fair, that he has not given us what we deserve. So then we we come up with other questions, things like, well, I don't know about your God, because if your God is so loving and so good, like you say he is, why do bad things happen to good people? Maybe again, you're, you're wrestling with that question today or you know someone who is. Why do bad things happen to good people? Legitimate question. There's news headlines. We know we live in a very fallen, twisted, ruined world. Why do bad things happen to good people? Here's my follow-up question to that. Who are all these good people you speak of? Because the Bible says that not one is good. I'm not good. You're not good. No one is naturally pursuing God. So I don't think we need to be asking that question at all. It really shouldn't be, why do bad things happen to good people? Let's ask the right question. Why do any good things happen to such bad people? That's God's mercy. That's the answer. The answer is because God is merciful. If one good thing happens in your life, it's because God is merciful. That's why. So the problem, though, is we feel this sense of entitlement. Like I've given God so much. He should be glad that I'm on his team. As though God owes us some sort of favor. Don't make me go back through what God owes us. The wages of sin is death. It's not, it's not pretty. But God's answer to our sin, if we'll let it be, is his mercy. You can't earn it, but God freely gives it. Anybody thankful for that? Your mercy, God's mercy is not based on our merit. And I love it because he makes it so accessible. It's accessible for you today, by the way. The Bible says that God's mercy is new every morning. 
Hebrews chapter 10 says, or, or chapter 4, I'm sorry, says that we should approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we can receive mercy and grace in our time of need. When's our time of need? Uh, anytime you're breathing. You need God's mercy and grace. I do too. And it's accessible today. God's, God's extending it. God's inviting you into it if you'll just walk into it. He's holding the door. He wants you as you are because you can't ever earn God's mercy. By definition, it can't be earned. So it's on that foundation. God, Paul, Paul writes, based on the mercies of God, not the mercy uh, singular, but the mercies, the many uh, diverse mercies of God, on that foundation, he says, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, a couple problems I have with that. Number one, I don't like sacrifice. Just being real with you. If it involves me giving up something that I would rather hold on to, eh, not so much. I don't really want to do that. And then when you combine sacrifice with living, now we're talking about living sacrifice? No thanks. I don't want to sign up for that. I, it sounds far too painful. I don't, I don't really want to be involved in that. Then, then we have to ask that original question where we started. Is it, is it worth it? Why? Why would we even do that? So here's the answer. Paul's about to argue this for us, but let's write it down. Number three, jot this down. God's mercy makes our sacrifice make sense. Did you hear me? God's mercy makes our sacrifice, any type of sacrifice, make sense. It's just logical. Paul is about to argue here that we live for Jesus, we sacrifice everything for Jesus because it would be illogical for us not to. That it just literally wouldn't even make sense. He says, based on the mercies of God, therefore, based on the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That seems to only make sense. In fact, the words that he's using here, it just says, that's your reasonable service. That's just kind of what you should do. That would only make sense. It would only make sense then, based on God's mercy, that you would live in this way, that you would sacrifice everything for him. But I do want to highlight that we're looking at Romans chapter 12, not Romans chapter 1, because this that plea would have been a really rough way to start the letter, right? Hey, I'm Paul the Apostle. I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. People would be like, I'm not reading this letter any longer. I got through the first verse. Notice that we're in Romans chapter 12. What that means is he spent 11 chapters of the deepest, richest theology you will find almost anywhere in scripture, setting up, building the platform, the foundation for the plea he is about to make. I know you guys are Bible students. Pastor Skip's our pastor. And, and you've learned in Romans 12, 1, when you see, I beseech you, therefore, when you see the word therefore, what do you do? You find out what it's therefore, right? It refers back to something else. Remember, we're talking about 11 chapters previously in this book of arguments that Paul has been building up to this point. Would you do this with me? If you got a Bible, flip to Romans chapter 1. I want to just give you a super quick flyover of the arguments for God's mercy that Paul Paul is making, and I want you to see that it's only logical for us to present everything we have to Jesus. Watch this, Romans 1, we got to go quickly. He says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God of salvation for everyone who believes. Chapter 2, verse 4, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Verse 10, glory, 
honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with our God. Chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Can I get an amen for that? How many of you are thankful that your lawless deeds are forgiven through Jesus, whose sins are covered? Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for me and for you. Come on, chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 7, verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 8, verse 38. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, not even the powers or the things present or the things to come or height or depth or any other created thing shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 9. Verse 16, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Chapter 10, verse 12, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Chapter 11, verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, his ways past finding out. Verse 36, of his and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, on the mercies, on those 11 chapters of the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. It's just your reasonable service. It would only make sense on that foundation. Amen. Come on, it would only make sense. It's illogical not to. If God has done all of this and we understand now what we deserve and that God has not dealt with us as we deserve, it would only make sense then that we would be willing to sacrifice everything for Him. Here's how this works. A grateful heart does not need to be coerced to live for Jesus. Because the natural overflow of a grateful heart is worship. Is a lifestyle of following Jesus who's given everything for us. It's the natural overflow of your heart. So I would say this, if, if you're not in a place where you're ready to sacrifice everything for God, I, I, would, I would say you've got to check your heart. Maybe there's a lack of gratitude in your heart. Maybe, in fact, there's a sense of entitlement as though God owed you some kind of favor. Let me just take you back through what God owes you. It's not good. And so God has freely made his mercy accessible if you'll take it, if you'll accept it. Now, I'm also aware that when we talk about sacrificing it all, or letting God or letting people into our lives, you might be a little hesitant with that. All of us naturally would be. Part of, the, part of our hesitancy is that our lives, you know better than, better than I do about yourself, you know your life is messy. I know my life is messy. It's not always pretty. But we live in this social media world where it's very easy to portray 
a picture of our life that's not very accurate. Cropped, edited, filtered, unrealistic Instagram version of our lives typically is the one that we display to the people all around us, right? And I've found also that oftentimes that carries over even into our social lives and even how we deal with with our homes. When you invite somebody over to your house, if your house is like mine, you got to tidy that place up before somebody comes over to your house, right? You got some work to do. Because God forbid that somebody would walk into your house and see a mess like the house they left behind to come to yours. Let's be real. They're like, I'm glad you invited us because I didn't want to clean my house, you know? It's messy. But we get this idea that like we, we can't, God forbid, somebody will walk in and see a, a, some unfolded laundry on the couch, you know? And by the way, when you come over to my house, don't open up the bedroom. I closed that for a reason. And keep the closet closed. That's locked for a reason because you might get hurt when you open it up. You know what I mean? That's where the problems are hidden, okay? We, we tend to board up our lives and, and, and portray this pretty picture of ourselves that's completely inaccurate. And this is a dangerous way to live. In fact, um, that, that editing, tidy up, make it look good mentality can carry over into all kinds of aspects of life. And it's dangerous. I need to tell you that even as a pastor, I'm prone to this. November 7th, 2011, my wife and I celebrated our eighth wedding anniversary. And on the same day, we mourned the loss of a miscarried child. My wife miscarried on a Friday. I finished my sermon through tears on a Saturday. And I preached with a fake smile on Sunday. I wasn't lying when I preached. I meant what I said. But my heart was ripped in two. And I didn't let anybody into that. And I'll never forget that day because not only was it one of the hardest days I've ever had to, had to preach. But I remember after the first service, I walked off the stage and I was talking to a guy. And this guy came up to me shake, to shake my hand. He said, Pastor Kevin, I just got to tell you, we're so excited. I'm so thankful that you've been praying for us. My wife and I are pregnant. And he told me that their baby was due on the same day my wife was supposed to be having a baby. And I hugged him, and I prayed with him, and I ran to my office and I cried all by myself. I chose that day to let nobody into my pain. Now that's since changed, because I've learned the value of opening myself up to other people in my life. I want you to know, Awaken Church now, even just a few years after that, is one of the most open churches I've ever been involved in. I want you to know Calvary Albuquerque is an open church that you can come and be who you really are. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to put on a fake Christian smile and pretend that everything's okay in your life. When somebody asks you how your day is, how your week's been, how your life is going, you should be real with that. You should let somebody in. I'm really here to tell you a a very simple truth today. And that is that you don't have to fight the battles of life all by yourself. You don't have to do this alone. Really today is about this. Letting Jesus into your mess. 
Yeah, Jesus, I got some dirty laundry out on the couch and I haven't swept the floors and I don't know how long and I don't really want you in that bedroom, but I just want you in my house, in my space. I want you to invade all of me. It's messy, but could you come in and start the cleaning process? That's what today's all about. Letting Jesus in to your mess. You know, I flew here from Tennessee and when we got off the plane, I had to go to baggage claim and and claim my bags. So many of you today walked onto this campus, turned on this radio show, clicked on a link and you're watching on the live stream right now and you currently are, are carrying your own spiritual baggage. Listen to me. I'm here to tell you all the way from Tennessee that you don't have to claim your spiritual baggage any longer. Jesus wants to take it off of your shoulders. You believe what the Bible says? That you can cast all your cares on Him for He cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for me. Jesus, in fact, invites us in. Here's his invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. Man, I don't know about you, but I need some rest. I need God's mercy. I need God, God's peace infused into my life. I have to have the, the ability to let Jesus into my life, to let other people into my life, no matter how messy or how hesitant I may be, and open up so that I can give Jesus all that I am. Today's about you saying, you recognizing, I'm choosing today, I'm drawing a line in the sand, I'm not going to do this life by myself any longer. I've tried what the world has to offer. Maybe you've tried alcohol, you've tried girls, you've tried getting in relationships, you've tried pursuing money. Uh, Guess what? I imagine they have left you wanting more. And if you're not there yet, they will be. You will find yourself needing something else because we typically look to the world to fix our our, our problems. We look to all of these temporary solutions, but your problem is eternal. You got to let Jesus deal with that problem. He's here. He's with you. He wants to change you, but you have to make the decision. Listen, we're considering the question, why is Jesus worth it? And my prayer for us this week and across this, across this church, all over this campus, is that worth it would go from a question to a declaration. You may have walked in here wondering, you may have wandered onto this campus wondering, but I pray here in just a moment you would be able to leave with the confident knowledge declaring, I wondered when Jesus, when I came here if Jesus is worth it. I'm leaving knowing Jesus is worth it. He's worth my attention. He's worth my sacrifice. He's worth my time. He's worth my commitment. He's worth it. But that's a decision that you have to make. I can't make it for you as much as I wish I could. It seems logical to me, but you have to make that decision. And let me warn you with this. When we leave today, every person within the hearing of my voice will have made a decision. You're like, no, that's not true because I, I don't know if I'm ready to make a decision today. Here's the thing. Not making a decision is making a decision. You accept Jesus or you reject him. There's no other way. Today, I'm telling you, Jesus is inviting you into his mercy. You got to let him into your mess. If you'll let him, I'm telling you, he has the ability, because I've seen it, I've lived it. He has the ability to break your addiction. He has the ability to heal you. 
He has the ability to, to fix that failing marriage. He has the ability to provide forgiveness for you. He, he has the ability to fix problems you didn't even currently know that you have or that's been riding on you for the, your whole life. And I'm, I'm just warning you, if you let those burdens remain on your shoulders, they will over time wear you down and crush you. But the church exists as a hospital for the hurting. And you got to be willing because God can't fix a problem that you're not willing to admit is there. And today it starts right now. This is your moment where you say, I've got the problem and I recognize Jesus is the solution. He's worth it. He's worth it. You got to make that decision. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Jesus, this is our moment right now, our our invitation. This is our welcome weekend, not only here to Calvary, but into the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I pray for those who are listening to this message all across this campus, all around the world, on the live stream. Lord, I pray that those who are hearing this, who are followers of Jesus, would understand their our great need to sacrifice every area of our lives to you. Paul said, present your bodies, everything that you have as a living sacrifice to Jesus. But Lord, right now I'm specifically praying for those who are not followers of Jesus. Maybe they know about you. Maybe they've heard all about you, but they don't know you. God, I pray right now that would begin to change. That you would, as you as you have been already, begin working in their lives and penetrating their hearts. Lord, here in a moment, I pray that you give them boldness to make a decision they didn't even know they were going to make today. But you knew it. It's no accident that they're here. You brought them here for this reason. And God, right now, I'm asking that there would be surrender across this campus to those, everyone who's listening. Lord, anyone who is tempted to hold back, I pray you give them the boldness to make the right decision right now. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, not because this is a moment of secrecy, because here in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to make this a public proclamation of your faith. But because right now, I think it's important that we're focused. If you're a follower of Jesus, I need you focused in prayer right now, waging war with me for the souls that, that need Jesus in this place. I need you focused right now, praying for them. You don't even know their name. It doesn't matter. God knows their name. But for the rest of you who you're hearing this message right now and you recognize You are in need. You've got a problem. And you've been turning to the world to look to its solutions. And so far, you've just been left wanting. I'm here to tell you, until you put your faith in Jesus, that will be the story of the rest of your life. You will want more. The world will never provide enough. It's a temporary solution for an eternal problem. Jesus is the only answer to your solution. And I wonder if there are people across this campus right now who need to make a profession of faith and say, I'm ready to follow Jesus. He rec- I recognize today that He is worth it. So I'm going to ask you wherever you are seated right now, as I give this invitation, I'm going to ask you to acknowledge that by lifting your hand. If you're in the, even if you're in overflow, if you're in the uh, outside listening to this, if you're in the prayer room right here in the sanctuary, if you're in the balcony, if you need to follow Jesus today, this is your moment. Would you indicate that decision right now by lifting up your hand? And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to make this public. I'm going to invite you when I call you to the front, wherever you are around this campus right now, I'm going to call you when I tell you here in a moment to join me right up here. And we're going to celebrate the most important decision you will ever make in your entire life on this earth. And that is to give your life to the God who died to save it. I wonder if there's anybody here today. Come on right now. Indicate that decision by lifting up your hand. I see you right over here. I see you all the way in the back, right over here on the side. 
Come on, in, a couple in the family room over here. Where else? Come on, is there anybody in the balcony? I see you on the back rows over here. Praise God. You put your hands down once you've lifted them. Where else? I see your hand. One right here in the middle. Young guy. Man, I love it. Come on, where are you at? More hands. Anybody else? Young, old, doesn't matter. Your background, I see you back there. Waving my hand. I mean, Jesus. I love it. Come on, who else? This is your moment of surrender. I see you all the way up in the balcony. Man, I love it. Right here in the middle. Hands going up across the place. Maybe even out there in the courtyard. Wherever you are. I know you got things to do, but this is far more important right now. Hang with me. Jesus, thank you for these hands that have gone up across this place, all over this campus, all the way up from the balcony and the family room and across the sanctuary, Lord. We're praying right now that not only you would give them the boldness to have lifted their hands as you did, but God, would you here in a moment give them the boldness to step out of their chair and make this a public decision to follow Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you're worthy. And we pray right now that this would be a pivotal moment in people's lives as they go public with their faith. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if there's anybody who's ready to celebrate some life with me. Come on, can you stand to your feet right now, church? We're going to invite anybody who lifted your hand, or if you should have, right now, wherever you are. I saw hands in the balcony. I saw hands in the in the family room. If you're outside, if you're right here, you step out. You come join us right here. This is your invitation. Come to me, Jesus says. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. Come on. Wherever you are, you come to Jesus right here, right now. Come on. So here's what I want to do. We're going to sing through this one more time. And I just want to give one more opportunity for those of you listening to this right now, wherever you are, make the trek. Come on, people still coming in from outside. Make the trek. Wherever you're from, wherever you're seated, we're going to wait for you. Listen, Jesus gave everything for you and me. It would only make sense for us to give everything back to him. And so maybe you're like me, you grew up going to church, pretty religious family, you knew all about Jesus, you read your Bible. Maybe up until this point in your life, you've never made a decision like this. Maybe today is your day to say, I recognize now, I can't earn God's mercy, but I want to accept God's mercy. Wherever you've been, however addicted you are, no matter how dark your life is, you come to Jesus now. He's got you. You come. Come on.
Come on, listen. I'm telling you, you can't get used to this. When you go to a church like this, you should get used to hearing the gospel message, but you should never get used to seeing people respond to the gospel message. This is it right here. This is it. So here's what I'm going to do. It's a lot of people. And what I want to do is I want to lead you guys in a simple prayer to say back to Jesus, I'm all, I'm all yours. I want, to, I want to give you a few words. I'd ask you to repeat this out loud after me. These aren't code words in heaven. This is an invitation for Jesus to take over your life. Church, listen, this is a big deal for these people to be up here. And I, I, I want to ask you if you would vocally stand with them right now. We got another one joining us. If you would vocally Vocally stand with us right now as we say this. Would you say this out loud with us as a way of reminding these people they're not alone? You with me? They're not alone. Come on, let's say this all together. Tell them, Jesus, today I give you my life. My life is all yours. I believe you're worth it. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you that you resurrected. And now because you're alive... I'm finally alive. Fill me with your spirit. Forgive me for how I've lived. I'm all yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on. We hope that you enjoyed this special service from Calvary Albuquerque featuring our guest speaker, Kevin Miller. How did this message impact you? We'd love to know. Email us at mystory@calvaryabq.org. And just a reminder, you can give financially to this work at calvaryabq.org/give. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Albuquerque.